Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth, the show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Our company, ProFunds Mortgages, has assisted real estate investors in achieving wealth for over two decades. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to share some of our key strategies in real estate with you, right here on 30 Minutes to Wealth. Hi, I'm Carmen, and this is Jordan. Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth, the show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Today, we have a very informative episode featuring a real estate accountant that's going to talk to us about excellent ways to structure taxes for Canadian real estate investors. We're so thrilled to have George Doobie on the show. He's an accountant that's been around for decades, servicing real estate investors specifically. George, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to today. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. We're so excited because we have clients from time and time always asking us um, you know, questions they have about tax, and we're always referring them over to you. So we thought it would be such a fantastic opportunity to have you on the show and cover some of those frequently asked questions when it comes to tax and real estate. Mm-hmm. So to get started, um, can you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the, the real estate tax? space? Mm -hmm. Um, It got started in the space actually by accident and I had been practicing uh, on my own for a little bit of time and I needed office space Mm -hmm. and the next thing you know I had an office and the next thing you know I needed some help with it and I I had a mixed-use property one thing leads to the next and I have a deal with a brother-in-law to invest in the property we we fixed it up Mm. and we thought afterwards well if you can do it once then you must be able to do it twice if you do it two times you got to be able to do it four times and that would, I would suggest, be more or less how the, so the we real were, estate empire started. So you're actually a, a real estate investor yourself, so that's how all of it started. Yes, it did. Interesting. Yes, yes, it I did. didn't know that. Yes, yeah. So like, kind of in tax 101, we're taught all the, the bad things about real estate, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a large degree to what I was brought up through in education, etc., until I started studying it myself, and I literally went to the, the boardroom table one weekend, made two piles of files, those that f- clients that made money, those that were losing money, and started hmm. studying it. And just really cool. I dived right into it. Really? So are you still a real estate investor? Absolutely. Actively involved. Wow. Yeah, that's great. So you have a, a good-sized portfolio. Now, I've met you years ago. Yes, yes. Like, we've been in same circles for many, many years. Absolutely. And uh, I've seen you grow in the industry, and you're always highly regarded by everybody, and that's why we thought we need to have you on the show and share some of your knowledge because sure. you you deal specifically in real estate mm-hmm. and there's Absolutely. so many questions I have and, and, and I have yeah. yeah and being a real estate investor yourself you can That's share great. from your personal experiences too so I think it's a yeah it's a really unique combination it is it's excellent it's a lot more fun that way quite honestly yeah. <laughs> and you always look so great and so dapper and you've got <laughs> your amazing bow tie collection which we always love to see what you're going to be sporting you. next <laughs> I know it's awesome it's yeah. a you're easy to buy a gift for I bet. I guess in one way, but in another now, I do have a little bit of a collection, so somebody may be a little oh. nervous. Of, so how many in, in your collection? I, I don't know the exact number. I would suggest it's in the 200 area. Wow. That how, is and how crazy. do you pick it? It just depends on your mood that day, I guess, right? It, it's There's a bit of a science <laughs> to it as well, so, so I try to mix them up, if you will, to a degree. And there's going to be a different tie for Mondays versus mm-hmm. Fridays, and then oh, I love it. I'll have seasonal ties, and then... Just sometimes you're in the mood for that. So do you wear a, tie, a bow tie every day? Practically. Wow. <laughs> wow. To bed? Do you wear it with your pajamas? Uh, no. <laughs> we love it. 
All right, so back to the tax. Um, yeah. So we wanted to kind of start off talking about if real estate investors are wanting to purchase properties, there's different options for entities in which they could do so. So mm. we want to kind of cover the pros and cons of investing under different entities, investing personally, under corporations, or even family trusts. So sure. let's start off with investing under a personal entity. Talk to us about you know the pros and cons of doing that if we're wanting to buy real estate. Are you talking about... Um, owning a property personally? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. or through a sure. sole proprietorship. And maybe I'll kind of just contrast, because the, the most common, if you will, is deciding between personal and corporate, although there's a host of other alternatives. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But in terms of those basics, if somebody's going out and they're acquiring some property personally, to a degree, they are handcuffing me in the sense that they now have this property personally. I can add up the numbers at the end of the day in terms of what the income and expenses are, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of playing around I can do in the sense of, and quite legally, um, if I have went out and I bought the property, let's say it's between a husband and wife, well, they're probably gonna buy it 50-50 or whatever mm -hmm. the ratio is that they're using. Well, that's how I'm gonna have to pay out the profits or the losses, if you will. Mm -hmm. I can't change that. Whereas with the corporation properly created, I have a lot more flexibility in terms of who gets paid, when they get paid, what year they get paid, how they get paid. Maybe they're gonna be paid through temporarily as a loan, maybe mm -hmm. they're gonna be paid through a dividend, maybe they're gonna be paid through a bonus. I have a lot of choices. I have a much easier time adding and subtracting owners to a corporation Whereas now I'm changing deeds, if you will, or trust mm -hmm, agreements on the personal side. Mm -hmm. uh, on the personal side, it has to come into my hands personally. On the corporate side, again, I'm, I'm deciding, yes, I can't change the fact that it's come to the corporation, mm -hmm. but I can certainly change where that profit is and when that's going to be. So okay. again, just more choices, and usually the more choices I have, not just today, because T today I may have, again, a husband and wife scenario or one's higher income earner than the other, but that may not be consistent over the next 20, 30 gazillion years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That can change. There may be a maternity leave. There, there may be um, somebody becoming unemployed or I'll call unemployed working for myself through my own corporation. I, I may want to take a sabbatical. I may want to go to retirement, semi-retirement, kids, grandkids, etc. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I agree. I want to have everything that I have in a company name. Absolutely. Now, some people ask, you know, do I have a company for each property that I'm buying, or is it better to just do mm -hmm. one company and then purchase, you know, all the real estate through that one entity? There, there's again pros and cons, right? And, and just as we we're talking about, it may it'll go beyond just from a tax perspective. So often, from mm -hmm. that legal perspective, not that I'm a lawyer, of course, but frequently we'll hear. Yes, you want to segregate the risk so you have the separate corporations for each property. Right. But if we bought a $300,000 property, I mean, that's not a lot of meat and potatoes for one corporation. That's right. So from a tax perspective, we're often looking at, well, what's my exit strategies with the property? How much property am I acquiring? What province, what country am I acquiring in? Mm -hmm. uh, do I have co-ventures that are going to be involved? What's my exit strategy? Mm -hmm. And so I have a host of things that may start to dictate this may be better to have start up that next corporation or I just don't want all my eggs in the same basket. Mm -hmm. So at times there may be tax advantages to accumulating a variety of property and putting it into one company, but that then is going to go against from a 
as I understand it from a legal and a financing perspective, mm -hmm. what I might be after. So there's pros and cons and why I think it's important to involve multiple people to the table. It's not just a tax decision. And right. it's really dependent on your individual scenario as well, right? It's so hard it to, to generalize across the board with yeah. this. Right. You really need to take a look at your your big picture, what mm -hmm. is it that I'm doing with these assets or this asset and how am I treating it and, you know, am I doing a flip? It probably, and that's a good question, actually, mm -hmm. a flip. Yes. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping into future discussions here, but uh, if, if someone is buying a property short term, do you recommend them putting it into a company or do you think it's best just to do it personally? Almost always a company. Mm -hmm. so, so if I can have that flip, um, a rent to own, for example, mm -hmm. then that type of activity and even some of the land development deals, they're considered from a tax perspective active income, mm -hmm. or at least the majority of that income is fashioned in that way. And so that's going to have a very different tax rate from a corporate perspective. And again, depending on the province and investing in and a host of other factors, mm -hmm. I may be paying at worst kind of, uh, I'm going to call it a 27% tax bracket on average based on the provinces more likely I'm paying a significantly lower tax rate. So then if I contrast that as an investor, if I was personally flipping a property, one, I'm potentially jumping tax brackets, so it's higher than what I otherwise would be paying. Mm. But it's not really challenging for me to be in a 40, 50% plus tax bracket on the personal side. Mm -hmm. So that corporate, again, as long as there's enough meat and potatoes there, and it doesn't take a lot, the tax savings are incredible. How would you suggest somebody handles the ownership of that corporation. Do you suggest perhaps um, having another company own the shares to that corporation personally or again it must be? We'll really replace that, I'll call it, we used to have that parent corporation yeah. and instead of that parent corporation we're more frequently using a family trust now. Uh, and, uh, and, yes. and so even I, I like to give the like example where for probably the first 25-ish years that I was practicing, I'd be involved in setting up 100, 200 corporations each year, maybe about mm -hmm. two family trusts. Now, starting really last year, I was putting into place 30, 50 family trusts. Wow. Mine was created last year for my family. And so a lot of my clients over the next five-ish years, the majority of that I'm going to call the serious real estate investors in that this is going to be a major part of their retirement program or their legacy program. Mm -hmm. Most of them are going to have family trusts, I expect, mm -hmm. assuming the tax, financing, legal rules more or less kind of continue as they are right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that topic and I want to know or, or share with our viewers what is a family trust, but we have to go to break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Jordan, this is Carmen. Welcome back to 30 Minutes to Wealth. We're here talking tax with our friend George. George, thanks so much again for being here. Um, Thank you. Digging back into things, <laughs> we wanted you to just talk to us about what exactly a family trust is. Right. I guess maybe the short answer, or shorter answer is to say, I like to describe it as an entity in a stereotypical example where mom and dad are able to control assets, control income, but they don't own anything. Mm. And so now we have an ability to be able to split income amongst beneficiaries that typically mom and dad will set aside, mm -hmm. typically the kids, perhaps grandkids, mm -hmm. um, maybe some siblings, nep nephews, nieces, okay. particular charity, um, where 
a more dramatic example that family trust can really come into play is to say, for succession planning, I can decide later on who gets what assets amongst the kids and properly done, I'm not going to be triggering any income tax at that point. And then if I go even further for when the second of mom and dad passes away, typically they're deemed to have sold all their assets for fair market value for tax purposes. It's a big tax bill that's coming about for the estate. But if mom and dad didn't own anything, in theory that number could be zero. Practically speaking, it won't. But all of a sudden, if, if I was personally owning all my assets, as an example, it's possible I might be giving away roughly 25% of my estate to Revenue Canada. A family trust, potentially zero. It's a huge difference intergenerationally to my church, to my cancer society, whatever it is that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we're looking for different ways of using that. And we've also found it to be more beneficial in certain cases from a legal, uh, a financing perspective. And again, we're involved the other experts in those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing more and more about mm-hmm. family trusts these days. And I guess it's actually valid in, in having your assets put in there. So effectively, you're saying that the trust, you already have the beneficial owners to the properties determined, and is that why you're not being taxed on it? It's because it's in trust for these people, or explain how that works. Sure, I'll, I'll describe it just a little differently. So often my family trust is gonna own a corporation or a series of corporation, mm-hmm. which in turn owns the real estate. Mm-hmm. So the corporation yeah. certainly is going to pay some tax on my rental profits. Mm-hmm. However, when I'm distributing the shares of those corporation, Instead of it going through my will as an example, I'm going to flow it through the family trust and properly done, I can give it to one of my beneficiaries or a group of beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Basically, Mm -hmm. they've inherited it as if they originally were the purchaser. Right. So they're still taxed to pay at some point, Mm -hmm. but we've deferred that for a good period of time. That's amazing. I mean, we have so much to speak about. Mm-hmm. I wish we could just keep you here for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. Three minutes isn't going to cut it. No, so, not uh, in this case. So <laughs> no. next we wanted to talk about, um, you know, owner-occupied resident residences versus rental properties quickly, and then even on if we wanted to do a renovation on this type of rental property. Sure. Yes. So, start. can you just talk to us a little bit about the differences if I had a principal residence, you know, what it would look like upon selling that versus a rental property? Right. And here again, we can go off in a myriad of directions. Yeah, but for sure. In one of the more typical scenarios that we will see is to say, again, I've got my principal residence and maybe mm-hmm. I'm renting the basement or alternatively a couple of the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, if and again, I'm speaking generally, so there's exceptions yes. to everything I'm saying yes. here. But uh, generally, if I'm using less than 50% of that property for rental purposes, it will still be considered my principal residence. Okay. And, and so now that gives me the ability to down the road sell that property without paying any capital gains, if you will. Now, what if you had a property that was owner-occupied, but you decided to, like it was your principal residence, you moved out, you decided to rent that property, now it's converted over. Mm-hmm. How does that look like from a tax structure? So here, Revenue Canada is acknowledging that for a period of time, that property qualified, assuming that it meets the other qualification requirements, mm-hmm. as the principal residence. And so if, for example, I've lived in that property for 10 years, but then mm-hmm. I turned it into a rental for five years, forgetting yes. some specific rules, as a general comment, basically two-thirds, 10 fifteenths of the time, if you will, that I've had appreciation on that property will be protected from taxes. A couple of different ways of calculating that. I like mm-hmm. to see clients get a, an appraisal that's done for the property 
uh, at the time of this changing use mm -hmm. so that we also have an ability to say, okay, here was the value on this magic date. Right. And so we're going to lock into place what or protect that principal residence exemption for a period of time. So you're not having to pay capital gains on any value creation while you, it was actually your principal residence. You're only paying from the time that you converted the use until you were to sell the property. That is correct. Okay. Again, as a general. As a general comment, yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Carmen and I have, yes. you know, been involved in renovating a property as well, and you know, we're just kind of we want to know a little bit more about how that looks from a tax perspective. You know, if we complete a substantial renovation, what does that necessarily mean and how does that affect us from a tax Yeah, and how do you know when you are, like, I, I also have clients that purchase houses, they want to renovate it and then they sell it. Yes. So, mm -hmm. and I know a few actually that are in a bit of a conundrum right now because they went ahead and renovated it and sold it and didn't pay or charge HST and now CRA is coming back and saying, well, let's see if this is substantial or not. So how do you right. define that? It's really challenging to define it. And we're, we're not so much going to be able to find a precise definition in the Excise Tax Act. Mm -hmm. More so, we're looking at court cases, opinions, and the general concept, because this, this is, it's a very, very fuzzy definition, mm -hmm. if you will. And with that lack of clarity brings uncertainty, which in turn drives people nuts, if you will, because they don't necessarily know with certainty. But mm -hmm. as again, I, I like to kind of describe it, one, to emphasize I involve my GST and HST team here because they deal with this on a day-in, day-out basis, and so they'll see some of the little intricacies, if you will. But for somebody who's going back to the studs on a renovation, if you will, mm -hmm. um, now you've got questions. If we're leaving the, ex the foundation of the property, the stairwells, for example, and, that, and some studs, that's about it. Well, it's certainly starting to smell significantly like a substantial yeah. renovation. Whereas if we're going in, we're ripping off some, some walls or re heavily redoing a couple of the rooms, probably not even remotely close to a substantial renovation. But, but it, it, if mathematically the idea is you're going to renovate 90% of that home, well, mm -hmm. what's really the difference between 92% and 88%? Mm -hmm. um, th th that's fuzzy. And so now... Clients are going to, again, I think want that additional uh, guidance from somebody that is going to be doing this on a day-in, day-out basis, and now they're going to file accordingly and take a position. I think for the most part, That's Revenue Canada is, is reasonable. It's really tough. It, yeah. it, it is. Um, tougher, though, is just the example you gave, if they were completely unaware of the consequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, at least if they've taken a position, they know the pros and cons, great. Now I can plan accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be incorporated from day one because that's a lot of money. 13% could make or break your deal there. Uh, right? Absolutely. 13% on a can of paint is nothing. On a house, it's it's huge. Yeah. It's a profit. Yes. Mm -hmm. In most cases, right? That's right? People are looking at 10% in most cases because it's so hard to make money in the industry because sure. prices are high and, and so on. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a whole. Another episode, that one. Um, <laughs> we have so much more to talk about. So, we want to talk about. Pass, taxes on a passive investment versus active investment. Sure. Yeah. So, so we touched on the first episode a little bit about that mm -hmm. active yes. side. Yes. So often I'll have people come up to me and say something to the effect of, George, George, mm -hmm. why would you ever put a property that's a rental into a corporation? It's like a 50% tax bracket if uh -huh. I do that. Yeah. And I acknowledge that, but I then get into a little bit of a discussion to, to go through. Yes, on day one, potentially it's 50%. Again, I'm averaging here based across the provinces. However, 
if I've paid out a dividend to an eligible taxpayer, mm -hmm. the corporation is going to get, a, roughly speaking, a 30% refund. So my net corporate tax is 20%. Now let's start comparing that with my personal tax bracket of 40 or 50%. Mm -hmm. And if I have the ability to pay, for example, roughly speaking, a $40,000 dividend from the corporation, essentially that recipient is more or less going to pay less than $2,000 in taxes. I'll call that tax-free. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate not everybody's going to be eligible for that, but maybe somebody will later. Maybe it's not us. Maybe it's going to be somebody down the road. Other quick example, if I was doing this personally and I'm going to go to tax bracket, I've paid my 40 or 50%. It's gone to the mm -hmm. government forever. Whereas in the corporation, it's accumulating. I don't lose that. Down the road, I can get that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm always going to be ultra wealthy, uh, so much income I don't know what to do with it, and I'm going to sell that corporation to somebody else. And somebody may say to me, hey, George, what will you give me for this company? It's got $5 million of refundable taxes into it. Wow. If we're bad yeah, negotiators, yeah. we split it 50-50. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm still better off $2.5 million. I would have had nothing if I was an individual. Yeah. So, so yes, that can be a high tax rate. 20% is not that bad. Mm -hmm. And if it was a capital gain, it's half that 10%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I, don't, I, I acknowledge there's a 50% initial tax. I just don't want to pay that. Right. <laughs> like that idea. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay it. But, no, you know, no. we can but pay, I will pay thank goodness for our country we live in. I know we pay mm -hmm. a lot of taxes, but it's a blessing here. I love it. It, it is. And, and I'm, by all means, I want to pay all I can. I'm required to pay, I just don't want yeah. to donate extra. So that let's quickly, we, we haven't got much time left, so I just want to quickly squeeze in passive investments. So, for example, if you're investing now, there are different types of passive yes. investments. Exactly. You can go with a, a mortgage investment, <laughs> um, and you can go, or you can get involved in uh, like a land development deal where you're in a limited partnership and things like that. And I know it sounds a little complicated, but do you recommend for people to set that investment up in a corporation as well? Well, it depends. So, so from a tax perspective, my definition of passive is different than a real estate definition, if you will. Mm -hmm. So for example, the uh, using the limited partnerships typically for land development deals is predominantly going to be an active income from a tax perspective. So mm -hmm. it's treated much more favorably in the corporation. So assuming I'm not using RSPs, TFSAs, then yes, I want the corporation. If I'm choosing, if for example, I'm doing some second mortgages, yes, my first crack is going to be the TFSA, looking at an RSP, right. yeah. last choice with the corporation. But I still like the corporations because I have more of an ability to, again, decide when I want the income, who gets the income, etc. I don't mm -hmm. like the handcuffs. Well, well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for everything. This is, I mean, I wish we could just sit here another. <laughs> I know you definitely need to come on ten more again minutes. because <laughs> we definitely did not cover as much as we would have liked to. It's just there's never enough time sure. um, to learn from your wisdom, George. Exactly. Thank you so much thank for you. joining us today. It's been a privilege today. to be here. And thank you so much for watching. For more information, you can go to 30minutestowealth.com for all of our episodes. That was an amazing episode. Go create wealth.